why would you do something like that? Hey all, I'm out on the patio again, you'll hear the birds. Let's get going. When I get a new class started up as an ESL teacher, I go through some very basic things with my students that not only set up the framework of what we will be doing throughout the course, but also try to identify what is behind their being in the class in the first place. One of my favorite lectures is called The Verbs of Life, and I go through six foundational verbs in English that will need to be learned and remembered and used from the get-go of classes with me as an ESL teacher. That list of verbs of life goes like this. Be, want, go, do, get, have. Why do I choose those six verbs? I'll always illustrate it like this. I'm Roberto. I want a donut. I go to the shop. I purchase a box of donuts. I've now gotten the box of donuts. I now have those donuts, and I'm going to eat them all. So that takes us through the logical process of these six verbs in life. Knowing who we are, what we want, where to go and what to do, to get and finally have that thing that we wanted. Moving beyond the simple recognition of who we are, we're pretty much conditioned by what we want. Here's how I talk about want in a video course I made a few years ago about these English verbs. When studying theater, everything comes down to that one word, want. Every word, every line, every beat within every scene and act is based upon one question. What do I want? What does he want? What is the motivation? behind these words and these actions. How about police work? Police not only look for the fingerprints, the fallen hairs, the footprints in the mud outside the window. They also look for the motive, the reason the criminal did what he did. What did that criminal want? Did he want the money he had stolen? Did he want to satisfy some deep, dark, unnameable passion? We can't get along without knowing what we want. Once we've identified who we are, before we take any action of any type, there will always be a want, a motivation. You might be getting a general idea of where I'm heading with this if you listen to the last episode here on You're Listening to Radio Rebel, Engage Those Students. In that episode, it was number 30, if you're interested in pausing this one and going to listen to that one first, I made the case that the majority of focus on student engagement is being placed upon what the educator should do about it, without directly addressing the actor who gets disengaged in the first place, the student. What we need to do in order to begin that student engagement might involve all of those wise words given to the educator to help him or her engage their students. Wouldn't it be nice if we were all Robin Williams or Michelle Pfeiffer or Sidney Poitier, able to inspire our students to jump up onto their desks, make the connection between their indomitable spirit and the real reasons behind why they are in the classroom in the first place? Going back to being an ESL teacher, I worked with a lot of adults, actually began my teaching career teaching adults, 
tourists in New York who signed up for a small group class while on vacation because it was something to be done and because my first boss managed to sell his service to travel agents in Europe. I then spent a number of years working with Japanese businessmen. I had very few students under the age of 20, and those were usually the children of wealthy immigrants who had uprooted their lives and moved to the States because of their work. One aspect of teaching ESL that I had to learn early on was to identify why those adults were in the classroom in the first place. In the case of the tourists, my very first class, a small group that included a couple of Italians, a Frenchman, I think a German, most of those students were taking English classes because they had little better to do with their extra vacation time. Making the visit to the U.S. was a big deal for them. They were not staying for the weekend. They were there for a month-long stay. There's just so much tourism one can do in a month, even when in one of the most interesting cities on Earth. The Japanese businessmen, well, their motivation was pretty clear. All of them worked for Japanese firms that had offices in the U.S. For some of them, coming to the States to work in the New York office was a promotion, another step up the corporate ladder. For others, it was training, a sieve that might catch them and help them along with their careers or might let them slip through, leaving them stuck where they were. Knowing how to communicate in English for any of them was an important tool for those business ambitions. Those few younger students, well, they didn't have a motivation of their own. The two young boys, sons of a Japanese diplomat in New York for the summer. Little time was spent on English. More time was spent taking them around New York City, showing the museums, taking them out for lunch. The motivation was not theirs, but rather their father's. Who knows why he brought his young sons to New York without their mother? Who knows why he didn't hire an au pair instead of a language agency? What is important to note here, though, is that the students themselves could get to the I am part of the verbs of life, but got stuck on the I want in relation to their English studies. They didn't want. They didn't want to be in the class. They didn't want to spend the entire morning with one English teacher and the entire afternoon with another. Let's expand then. What is the motivation, the I want, of today's students in general? First, we'd have to look at the different types of students that exist. We can generally break them down into their socially accepted, and socially is the key word there, categories. Preschool, grade school, middle school, high school, undergraduate, graduate, on-the-job training. From the age of zero to the age of around 15, those students do not have the principle I want when it comes to their education. The I want comes from society and their parents as part of that society. The parents want their kids to know how to read and write and add and subtract. The parents want their kids to know how to get along with other people in society. The parents also want, and often need, some kind of safe place to park their kids while they, the parents, are somewhere else trying to earn a living. In our modern world, that usually means both parents. Stay-at-home moms seem to be in the minority. Around the age of 15, we may begin to see some personal motivation in students. Some may have vocational interests that are recognized by school counselors or psychologists, or simply a sympathetic teacher. I want to be an astronaut can be a healthy motivation for studying advanced mathematics. I want to fix cars is a valid motivation for dropping out of a humanities cycle and focusing on shop courses. 
Any of these motivations may endure the six or so years of regular education as well as the four to six extra years of so-called higher education involved in getting one or several frameworthy pieces of paper that indicate that you got through those 12 or so years. On-the-job training would be similar to those Japanese businessmen taking ESL classes from me. You've got the job, but your skills need to be kept up to date with constantly changing technology or industry trends. Your motivation may be a promotion, or maybe simply a desperate clutching reflex to your current job. So we seem to have two general groups here, those who do not have a direct motivational force behind their attendance in class, and those who in one way or another seem to have that I want to support their taking classes. How do we engage within these two sweeping generalizations? I think the start must be with the first group, those 0 to 15 year old children who do not go to school because they want to, but rather because their parents think they ought to. Or worse, and this is ever so evident in the current pandemic reality, those children are primarily in school because they have to be in order for their parents to be able to go to work and keep the economy alive. That those care centers are called schools is a happy accident that we have all accepted for decades, without question. They have been, though, unveiled as what they are, glorified daycare centers. We have lost the ability to educate our children ourselves. That's not to say that we could not do so, but because mom has to keep up to date with the latest trends in bookkeeping, and dad needs to make 25 sales visits a month and land at least 20 of those as new accounts, both mom and dad have had to abdicate their responsibilities for getting their kids educated to these daycare centers that happen to employ qualified teachers to supervise where all those kids are, and in passing teach them a thing or two. This is the one true motivation behind wanting to get kids back to school as soon as possible. During S.H.I.E.L.D. at home, so many parents realized at once that they were not up to the task of helping their kids with their homework. How much of that was because the parents realized that what they had learned in their school days was no longer valid or was simply forgotten? Shouldn't this shed a bright light on just how unuseful those years in the glorified daycare turned out to be for the parents? How much of that was because the kids themselves were totally unmotivated to learn the material they were being given, unable to make that connection between standing on the desk and shouting out carpe deum and staring blankly at a math problem that is just so many squiggly lines on the computer screen? In order for distance education to work with the outside motivated crowd, there first needs to be a recognition of just what is wanted. If what is wanted is a safe place to park the kids while their parents are off at work, then the laptop on the dining room table is not going to work, not without a dedicated adult there to supervise. For those hours that the parent needs to be away from home and needs to keep the child safe, it is evident that there need be some kind of supervised situation for the children from 0 to 15, which can include some education, but needs to include the social distancing necessary to gain control of the pandemic. If what is wanted is an education for the children, then we would need to break from the educational daycare construct and focus on student motivations and needs. If you ask a younger student why he or she wants to go back to school, the answers often begin with, I want to see my friends. That is social, not educational. We should not be mixing the two at this time. 
If we combine social with educational, then we make COVID-19 an educational disease. One thing is social behavior. Another thing is learning that two times two equals four. For now, the social education of our children will need to be something that parents take care of at home. That is something that they should have learned from their own parents, and it will need to include the heightened level of empathy that needs to be incorporated into our society that is obviously lacking, as demonstrated by such antisocial behavior like, I have the right to not wear a mask. Parents should not be drilling their kids on spelling rules. They should be teaching them how to love and care for others through the example of loving and caring for them. Kids don't need to spend an entire first grade school year learning how to add and subtract, procrastinating on the multiplication table until they are graded up to fourth grade. It may just be possible to teach all four of the basic math operations in a few months of intensive study with a qualified tutor, followed by much more interesting applied activities like keeping the household accounts or figuring out how much paint to buy to decorate their bedroom. Kids don't need to spend an entire first grade school year learning to draw a picture then write a simple sentence to describe the picture. They don't need to be stuck for a year painfully moving from see, spot, run, run, spot, run to Jane has the ball, throw the ball to spot Jane. When with a good reading teacher, they may quickly find a passion in Nancy Drew or Harry Potter at an early age, discovering a motivation to read beyond the required reading list of the grade they've been parked in for an entire school year so that their parents can spend all day in the office without worry for where their children are. Society, ah, there's that word again, in another form, remember, social disease. Society got along for centuries without graded free education. Kids learn their so-called social skills from other kids and from their parents or other adults around as they navigated through what modern man would not consider a childhood at all. Kids did not while away three months each year, then spend nine months chained to desks. Kids did not have scheduled play dates or softball clubs or Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts. Kids either learned the trade of their parents or were shipped off to learn the trade of another. So a farmer's son became a farmer. The butcher's son became a butcher. Too many sons? Send the weakest off to become a monk. He can pray for the souls of the entire family. Send the burly always gets and fights one off to apprentice with the smithy. He's got the arms and shoulders for it, and the family can count on cheaper horseshoes for the effort. Too many daughters? Send the ugly one off to a nunnery. She can pray for the souls of the entire family. Wed the others off to older men with a bit of money to spend. In any of those fates, the individual, the kid, had just about as much say in what the I want was as today's 0 to 15 year olds. The difference being that in those bygone days, no one pretended that kids were getting an education. They were just being sometimes gently, more often brutally, pushed into the next or continuing stage of their development. It's time to be honest with our kids about their motivations. They want to play with their friends, that's fine, but for now, there will be no physical contact. There is a virus. It is dangerous. We the adults have handled it in an uneven and not always successful fashion, and no one knows right now how long the restrictions of physical contact will last. No good complaining about it. No amount of whining will change the reality. You've got an hour each evening you can Zoom chat or play some video games with your friends. It's time to be honest with our kids about their education. 
No functioning person in the modern world can get along without knowing how to manage numbers. Ask them what they want to be when they grow up and demonstrate how numbers are involved in that profession. Show them how you, as a parent, deal with numbers. They have no choice but to learn to manipulate numbers, and this tutor will be connecting with them every day from 4 to 5 to help them get a grasp on the basic and later more complex concepts involved. The sooner they master numbers, the sooner they can move on to practical applications of those numbers. It's time to be honest with our kids about their education. No functioning person in the modern world can get along without knowing how to read. If the kid doesn't know how to read, learning to understand combinations of letters can be an exciting activity in itself, can bring about its own motivations. If the kid knows how to read, then reading, comprehending, explaining, applying what has been read needs to be taught, learned, understood. The sooner the kid is choosing reading material on his or her own and actively participating in online book clubs, the sooner they can stop attending those tutorials each day from 3 to 4. Distance education is necessarily different from classroom education. Without having a classroom to go to, we have removed the main motivation for this educational day center, a place to park the kids. This being the case, we no longer need to lean on classroom-type behavior to educate our children. There should be no group Zoom class with the teacher giving a lecture and the kids taking notes. That kind of virtual classroom is not serving the main reason for the classroom existing, the place to park the kid. The kid is at the dining room table. If it is difficult to control 25 kids when they are all in the same parking lot, how can a teacher be expected to both teach and control those same 25 kids parked at 25 different dining room tables? Doomed to failure, I say. So I've only glossed through some of the foundational ideas that bump around in my head about this distance, engage the student thing. I'll come back in another episode to really talk about how engage the student, when implied to old-school ways of teaching, is just an ephemera, does not and will not work beyond the anecdotal statistical data that somehow always needs an engaged teacher to make it work. Stop asking the teacher to engage. He's already engaged. Thanks for listening again. Like, subscribe, get notifications, share with your friends, leave a comment, check out my blog, help me be more social myself. I think we've got things to talk about, and I know I haven't got all the answers. But there are answers out there, and we can get them moving a bit, only a bit. Rome, as they say, was not built in a day. Or, every little bit helps, said the old lady as she peed in the ocean while trying to drown her husband. You're listening to Radio Revel.